You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I spent uh, yesterday afternoon with uh, three of my kids and we paddled a part of Schoharie Creek. I have to say we paddled part of it and we swam part of it unintentionally. Um, you know, it helps to stay dry if you manage to stay in the boat and not out of the boat. And, uh, you know, the, cre- the, the river is a fun river. When we first started, it kind of lulls you into, oh, this is nice and, you know, relaxing. You can just kind of drift and fish a little while. And then it kind of picks up speed and then you hit some, you start hearing this noise in the distance. You're like, I don't see anything. But when you hear what sounds like a waterfall, um, you know, it's never good when you're just on the river. And I'll just say, we, we made most of them. Uh, but the boat that I was in, Karis and I were in, we got to the very last spot. And we pulled, in fact, we could see the takeout point maybe 500 yards from us. And it was all flat water. We had one more obstacle. The Schoharie kind of drops. Like there will be these uh, just, just drops where the, the rock and the shale formations, it'll just all of a sudden go down two feet, you know, a foot or two, and it'll be like little mini waterfalls. And we pulled out and we kind of scoped it out. And I thought, you know, I think we can make it through this section. And looked at that one and I thought, well, the next one doesn't look too bad either. I think we got this. So we kind of backed up, you know, and kind of aimed it right, and we're going to do it. And I was half right. The first one wasn't bad at all. The second one was way worse than I fully expected. And uh, as I go in and the boat, you know, tips, and I don't know how Karis stayed in the boat, and the boat didn't go. I just fell out of the boat. But, you know, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going in. I've never tipped in a canoe in my life. And um, so the, the first thought I had was, why are these paddles black? I'm going to lose my paddle. I can't see it because I dropped it and I'm swimming to grab it. Second thought was, I thought I was wearing a life jacket. Why am I going under and the waves are pulling me under? And oh, okay, yeah, it's working. Uh, anyway, so no worse for the wear, but I will say, it's not good when your phone in the river on a first name personal basis. So there is a bag of rice right now. And uh, Sean, didn't you put it in something? I did. But uh, you shouldn't trust Ziploc either, just so you know. So note to self, get one of those waterproof bags before you go, before you go uh, canoeing down any good sized river. So anyway, you know, as we wrap up this morning in the book of Daniel, I've really, really enjoyed the things that God has kind of taught us. And I really feel like it's a, a book for our life today with just the challenges that, that we face. And the theme that we've started out with, and I've not talked a lot about it every week, but it really is a theme from beginning to end, is courage in the middle of crisis. If we get anything from the book of Daniel, we ought to get the reality that we ought to be people of courage that as we go through life, as we, we walk through life, that there is a God in heaven that we trust that really does have it under control, but we also have to be people of courage. We've seen people thrown in lion's dens and fiery furnaces and crazy visions and persecution and all kinds of ridiculous, crazy stuff. That we ought to be people of courage. Dads today, um, you know, leading in your home, mom and dad, it just... You have to be a people of courage. I must admit, after about the fifth or sixth waterfall, I started feeling a little stressed because, you know, you're a dad and you're like, man, I hope my kids don't get too, you know, nobody gets hurt and we lose stuff or whatever. And, 
And, you know, you start feeling that pressure and very much like life. You just set out and all of a sudden you hit rapids that you really have no choice. Like they're coming. You got to get home. I mean, we're not going back upstream. We got to go through this, this situation. And it takes a tremendous amount of, of courage. This morning, Daniel chapter 10 through 12 is really one kind of vision that Daniel sees, one last vision. And if it helps you as you kind of walk through Daniel, 10 and 12 are just an expansion and ex ex exploding and more high definition, if you will. It's like high def TV of what Daniel saw in a vision in chapter 8. And chapter 8 deals with two kingdoms that of the four in chapter 7, kind of an expansion on that. And chapter 7 is a reduplication, it's a rerun of the same thing in Daniel chapter 2 of the four kingdoms. Remember the, 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 big, the king with the gold head and the, the silver torso and all of that. And what God is revealing to Daniel along the way are spe some specific things that is going to happen in the world after Daniel's life. And in, the nice thing about Daniel chapter really 11, especially in, in part of 12, is God's not talking about beasts and crazy things. And we look at it and like, wow, those are just weird. He's just talking in plain like history. This king's going to come. This is going to happen. And there's going to be this one from the north, this one from the south. And there's going to be these wars and all this stuff going on. And what's amazing is when you realize that Daniel was written hundreds of years before all of those events happened, that God was revealing specific things in history. Just phenomenal that the Bible is trustworthy and true. But the story is much more than that because in prophecy, so much of the Old Testament, God is predicting things. And especially in the Old Testament, He's predicting some specific human events, but that have an ultimate longer term kind of meaning. It's kind of like a telescope. There's a specific thing now, but there's something else that, you know, you look through that scope that's coming down the line. So this morning, we're kind of, I'm going to kind of wrap up. We've not delved a lot into all of the details in this year and that year and what's happening and all of those things for a couple of reasons, but I want to kind of hit the high points. And there's, there's some, a little bit of disagreement among some scholars, and I've alluded to that uh, along the way with just how this stuff is going to play out. I just know what I hope happens, truly. <laughs> you know, I'm like most of us, just minimize my pain. I don't want to go through anything more than I have to, and I would love to land in that situation. But this morning, we're going to see that some Christians are going to be alive and around during this end when it all gets really bad. And so I pray it's not you and me. And, um, but... In the process, I want us to, to, I want to bank on, I guess, five things that nobody debates, that really that these are five realities, five end-time realities that are going to happen. And then I want to share with you, after that, five lifetime responsibilities based on those. Usually, as we've talked about it, people just want to know, oh, what's going to happen? What's the Bible say? It's almost like conspiracy theory meets church meets nerd like those three things together people want to figure all this little stuff out and we ought to know in as much as what god has given to us but we're going to camp out on really what are our responsibilities today based on what we know is going to happen tomorrow so i'm going to and if you're paying attention sean that's 10 points yeah i know we'll go quickly i promise so if you can hang with me through the first five, I'm going to go pretty quickly through those, and we're going to camp out in the last five things. So here's five end-time realities that are going to happen. 
realities that are absolutely true and real and have implications today. The first one is, is, is spiritual war. Spiritual war. Look at, look at Daniel chapter 10. Look what the Bible says in, in, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel writes in, in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 10. Actually, let me go down to verse 12. He says this, Then he said to me, Daniel is praying, he has this angel come to him in person, not in a vision. And he says to Daniel, he says, Fear not, Daniel. Don't be afraid. Whenever God tells you not to be afraid, it's because you are afraid. And there's probably things you ought to be afraid of. But God says, I got this. Relax. I got it. He says, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Fear not. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So an angel's coming to speak to Daniel, but this other prince, fallen angel, withstood him. There was a fight going on. And he goes on and he says, But Michael, which is another angel, one of the chief princes, one of the archangels, we would say, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Look down in verse... Uh, give me a second. Look down in verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these except Michael, your prince. Here's what this is telling us. There is a spiritual war going on in the world around us. I don't mean the physical world. I mean the spiritual world where angels and demons are fighting. And it, it relates to our life, to our nations, to our world today. This is a little bit of those, you know, the old Ripley's Believe It or Not. Do you really believe this crazy stuff or not? Apparently, I looked it up. Goldfish really remember things past three seconds. It's, if you think it's only three seconds, you're vastly mistaken. It's much longer than that, apparently. Believe it or not, you can go look it up. But there are wars going on around us. There is this demon. The Bible tells us that, that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities and powers and and, and fallen angels that have authorities in very high places. And apparently that this, in this economy of the world, that there was a uh, fallen angel that was responsible specifically for Persia. And there was another one and others that were responsible for Greece. And Michael, God's angel, the archangel, was responsible. He was kind of the, the head guy for Israel. And there was a war going on. And, and Daniel was praying before God, trying to understand what all of these things are. And God dispatches Michael to explain them to Daniel. But the enemy didn't want Daniel to understand. And so he fought against Michael for 21 days. This kind of blows my mind a bit. But there is a reality of angels and of things going on around us that we are absolutely clueless about, and God has kind of peeled the curtain. That's really what's happening in the book of Revelation. We see it in more figures and all this crazy stuff and dragons and beasts, and there's a spiritual war. There is all kinds of stuff going on around us that we are absolutely clueless about. Second end-time reality that I want you to know 
there is such a thing as, as an antichrist, a person who in the end will stand up and rise up, who will speak such blasphemy against God that will be of a, of a, a commissioning of Satan, the archenemy of God, who will be of such a charismatic uh, figure that, that most people in the world will be fooled by this individual, will be rallied around this individual, and will bring such a, de a desolation, such an abomination against God that there will be nothing like it in the world before. This is what Daniel 11 is talking about. In verse, 30, verse 31, it says, forces from him, talking about that Antichrist. The near time prophecy is a character in history known as Antiochus Epiphanes. The far time result is the Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes is only a picture of the future that would come. And it says that forces from him shall appear and shall profane the temple and the fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus talks about that same exact thing. Then he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Go down to verse 36. And the king shall do as he wills. This same person will exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. God is going to allow it, if you will, the, the filthiness and the abomination and the indignation to kind of ripen and to come to full bloom, if you will. In verse 37, And he shall pay no attention to the God of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all. Above everyone around him, he will magnify himself. The Antichrist that will come will be one who will exalt himself above everyone. Depending on what you believe about the end times, this world will either just continue on as it is, and then all of a sudden we will wake up one day with this world figure on the stage that will will seemingly bring about a prosperity, but ultimately will deceive and will exalt himself above everyone and will bring such a desolation against God's people. Or we will see this individual um, who will, uh, there will be a, a, a removal, if you will, of God's people and this, the God's kingdom will be established and this individual will bring a, be a part of a period of tremendous tribulation that I'll talk about in a minute. But regardless, regardless, the Antichrist is a real figure, a real time who will come. Look what 2 Thessalonians says. It says this in verse 3, talking about him, it says, Let no one deceive you in any way. I'm in 2 Thessalonians. You look on the screen. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness a person who has no law, whose very character and very nature is to do everything that defies all laws, that person will be revealed as the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against uh, every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And 2 Thessalonians goes on, I won't take time to read it, but how Satan commissioned him and how he will deceive same person in the book of Daniel. The Antichrist is a real figure, a real person, real power, and it will be absolutely a frightening time for those individuals on the earth during that time. Third reality, a great tribulation. Look what the Bible says in 
Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going back to Daniel. At that time shall arise... Remember, God dispatched this angel to explain to Daniel what's happening. And he says, At that time shall arise Michael, that's the archangel of Israel, commissioned and responsible by God to take care of, of Israel and to bring forward God's bidding over His people. And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Listen to what Jesus said talking about that time. Jesus says in, in Matthew 24, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, by the way, that's how we know that Daniel chapter 11 is not finished. Jesus says it's still coming. There was an example of it in Daniel, but there's a time that's still coming after me, he says. When you see that, that abomination, when you see the awful and godly and the terrible atrocities uh, against God and against God's people, standing in the holy place is what he's talking about. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one who's on the housetop, uh, let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. In other words, guys, when you see this hitting, you need to get out of town and pray that nothing hinders you. No blizzard, no snowstorm, no tolls or anything. You need to pray that you are able to get out. He says in verse 21, For there, then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Horrible. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God will make sure that there comes to an end of those. There will be a time of great tribulation that this world has never seen and will never see since then. We know that in the middle of that that there will be many tribulations. John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world around us, that, that these forces that are against God and God's people, Daniel experienced them in his day, we experience them unseen in our day. Fourth reality, a judgment of God. Daniel says, back in Daniel chapter 12, he says in verse 1, Halfway through, he says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's clear he's talking about end-time realities. Matthew tells us what Jesus said about that time. In chapter 25, he says this, when the Son of Man comes, when, when Jesus comes in His glory, He says in verse 31, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Kind of what we talked about back in Daniel 7. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, all the peoples of the world, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
That's the kingdom that Daniel has been talking about all along. God's, Jesus says, look, the time is coming when I'm going to come and I will sit as judge and everyone will be before me. And one by one, I will make the separation. Those who are in the kingdom, those who I will have blessed, those who will sit on my right. And then he says in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In time reality, the judgment of God upon everyone in this world based on their life that they have had the opportunity to live. Fifth reality is eternity. I just alluded to it or didn't allude to it. Jesus talked about it, but he says this is everlasting blessedness, everlasting contempt. Daniel talks about the exact same thing in verse, in verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust and the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to eternal or everlasting, everlasting contempt, he says. Those are five end-time realities. Those are, those are major obstacles in our river of life. Those are major obstacles, major challenges. And if we are ever to have courage in the future, and if we're to have courage in the life before us now, this goes you know, way beyond how do I find my next job or get a raise. Or it, it, this is, these are huge matters. Judgment of God, looking at our entire life from beginning to end, and it comes down to a final decision. You know, how would you like to live your life and to know that everything you've said, everything you've done, would hinge on that one final exam, make or break? Nobody, none of us would want to go through college you know, oh, you'll love this college. We don't have a quizzes. We don't believe in exams. We don't, we don't have you do papers. You just sit in class. You do some work. But, you know, there's just this one exam. There's only one question on the exam. But it, it's, it's pass or fail. It's not an easy question, but you get it right. Everything's good. You get it wrong. Yeah, you're pretty much done. You just wasted four years of school. I don't know about you, but I kind of like partial credit. You know, I kind of like to... Earn my way up through. Like, okay, I don't need to get a 4-0, but can I pull a 3-0? Okay, well, not a 3-0. Can I at least, you know, can I, get a, can I get a C? Can I at least, you know, get somewhere? God tells us, see, it's even worse. Our whole life, everything that we've lived for is going to be on the left or on the right. So let me give you five real-time, lifetime responsibilities that we have. These are not just things that are theories in the future. It's tough for us to think about the future, right? Most of us struggle to think about retirement the way we should. Most of us struggle to, you know, you first get your first job and you think, I've got, I've got the rest of my life to figure out this retirement thing. No, you really probably need to start putting away your first day because that day's coming. We struggle to think at the end of our life. We're now talking about the end of all of eternity. And these are stark, startling realities. So I'm trying to make them real for us today because they are for us today, not just for then. And there's five responsibilities that God tells us that we need to deal with. Five things that are significant for us in our life today. The first one is, is he tells us that we should get used to not being accepted. We should get used to that. 
Look what Daniel chapters 12 tells us. These are crazy things. Sean, do you really believe this stuff and these angels and demons having war? Yeah, do you really believe this Antichrist stuff? And yeah, I do. This tribulation that's just, read, read Revelation. If you have trouble sleeping at night, don't read it. Because if you really look at it, you're going to be like, whoa, I can't sleep at all. What in the world is this stuff? You really believe that? Yeah, I do. All of the prophecies in Daniel were written before they actually happened. And you can go back and study. There are real kingdoms, real people, real times. Go study up on Antiochus Epiphanes. Nobody doubts he really happened and the awful things, the thousands of people that he slaughtered and setting himself and vaunting himself as God. They already happened then. If they happened then, and I believe God enough that if he knew the future then, he knows the future past me today. And so because of that, I am willing to say that, you know what, if I believe those things, that makes me a little bit weird to the world around me. It makes me a little bit weird. Father's Day, I'm waking up not thinking about just getting a Father's Day card or wishing my dad a happy Father's Day. I had to wish him a happy Father's Day on my wife's phone because mine is not working right now. You know, this is Sean, you know. Uh, although after this, I might play the card. Hey, babe, would you send dad a happy Father's Day? Thanks. You know, I might not have to do it ever again now that he gets used to it on her phone. But anyway, uh, I really believe those things. And that makes us out of step with the world around us. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in Daniel 12, 10, he says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. Those are the followers of Jesus who have pulled themselves out of darkness, who've trusted the God of heaven, and, and God is really the one who pulled them out. But they've made themselves white and refined, the Bible says. But the wicked shall act wickedly. I think, you know, stupid is as stupid does, you know, is a quote that comes into play there. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. That says very simple. In life today, as you and I live our life, there will be two kinds of people. There will be people who will get the things that I'm talking about, who will see that and nod their head and say, yes, I know that Jesus is Lord. Yes, I know that He died to save me from my sins. Yes, He is my hope and my future, and I bow before Him, and I give my life before Him, and I pledge my life. How could I not? And it totally makes sense to them. But there are many others that the Bible says will not understand. They won't get it. It'll be nonsense to them. It'll be strange. It'll be weird. And ultimately, we know if you don't fully understand it, then you really don't not only not accept it, but you don't even accept what the other people are saying and doing. And that puts us out of step with everybody in the world around us. You see, guys, we don't, we don't need to act weird for weird's sake as followers of Jesus. But it is absolutely categorically impossible for you to somehow be a faithful follower of Jesus and to be able to live in a way that everybody in your world is going to get it, going to respect it, going to be comfortable with it, accept it, and believe it. Increasingly in our culture, we live very out of step with a lot of the thinking around us. Why? Because we're from a different kingdom. We follow our Lord who tells us that you're going to be living differently. I mean, Jesus early on said, "Is like, look, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You walk close to Jesus, the things that happen to Jesus are going to happen to you. And last time I checked, he got crucified. 
So as Christians, we ought to stop being shocked about it. We ought to stop complaining about it. We ought to stop being, feeling weird about it. You know, we from day one grow up in a world where we face peer pressure all the time. All, all, all the time. I'll tell you a little secret. When I was in high school, I shaved my legs more than once. Sean, what in the world? That's not funny. No, it's not. Um, no, I was not experimenting or transitioning or doing anything that probably comes to your mind today. Uh, I raced bicycles. And like Olympic swimmers shave their legs when they go swimming, cyclists did the same thing. And I tell you what, when you show up at your first race and you're the only dude with hairy legs and everybody out there with muscles that are exploding out to here, all of a sudden peer pressure kicks in and guess what I did for my next race? I shaved my legs too. Now, I will tell you, it was the absolute strangest experience of my life. <laughs> my legs had never touched my jeans before. My hair had, but my legs had not. It was bizarre. I do not recommend it, guys, ladies. I don't know how you do it, but it was weird, all right? Peer pressure, we do all kinds of stuff in life. For peer pressure. As Christians, we should not allow that peer pressure to push us into the world system around us. Our life should be framed out of a relationship with Jesus. We ought to get over trying to be accepted by the world. You can't hold on to two things going in different directions. Don't be weird, all right? There's enough weird, truly weird people in the world but be very clear in your allegiance in your life and unashamed. Don't be rude. Don't be jerks. Don't be obnoxious. Be humble. Be genuine. But no, the world is not going to accept you. It can't. And for some of you, it gets closer to home and even with your families. But you have to make a choice and follow Jesus and, and realize that the world's not going to accept you. Second, real-time lifetime kind of responsibility based on all of that craziness. We should pray with an eye to eternity. Look what Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 says again. Daniel was praying and he was a man just deeply committed to God. And, he, and I'll, I'll read the verse. It says, and he said to me, this is the angel coming to him, he says, fear not Daniel, for from the first day, from that very beginning that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Even though Daniel was praying to God, and he was praying for 21 days over this issue. God dispatched an angel day one, but it, the Bible tells us it took 21 days, three weeks of him praying. Sometimes your answer to your prayer is delayed because the enemy is fighting against what God wants to do. Now, God will always win, but along the way, he's teaching you patience and endurance and all kinds of cool stuff. But notice what Daniel's praying about. He's praying about his people. He's praying about eternity. When I put my little phone in the bag of rice to say, oh, I hope there's hope in this bag, this, you know, that this works, I pray, God, would you somehow please help me not to buy a new phone? I really did. It's okay. It's okay to pray for your cat to come back. It's good. It's okay for your, well, for some of you, be like, good riddance, you know. Well, I don't, don't say it too loud. Some of you are there. Some of you are like, oh, that's a horrible thing to say about your cat. Um, it's okay to pray about those things. It's good to pray about all kinds of things. But we see Daniel praying about the things of eternity. We see him praying about people's lives and nations and the souls of men and women and children. 
we see him realizing that there is a spiritual movement in the world around him, that he's responsible for God. To, he's a soldier and a player in the middle of that world. And he is a person of prayer, praying with an eye, knowing that this world is way more than just, do I get my house painted or like me? Do I get my roof on this summer and not fall off the roof? He says, he's praying about people and nations. As I pray for you guys, increasingly, it's just, God, would you bless them? God, would you use them? Not just bless them and care for them financially. I certainly desire that and pray for that. But God, would you use them? Would you help them to know you? Would you help their kids to know you? Would you help their communities, their workplace? God, would you do a work in Gilderland? Would you work in Albany? Would you work in our nation? Would you, God, would you work in the world around us? I want to challenge you as you pray increasingly to pray for God's welfare and God's blessing and God's salvation on the people in your world. God works through that stuff. When you do that, you will be participating in spiritual war for sure, more than you know. But guys, what else are we going to live for in life? It's not how big our house is or how cool it is or what a great job we've got or you know, our kids we have or don't have or whatever, like those things are important, but we're talking about eternity. That's a really, really long time. Things that are for forever. So pray with an eye to eternity. Third thing, pay attention to how you live your life now. Listen, if Jesus is going to judge us based on everything that we've done, we're going to stand before him. It matters how we live today. In Daniel chapter 12 through, I didn't read it, but let me re read it now. It says, Daniel says, the angel reveals to Daniel, he says this, and those who are wise, talking about you and me, those who are wise among us shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. He's talking about those who surrender their life to Jesus. Those who have the wisdom to see that Jesus is the only way of salvation and it's an all or nothing kind of thing. You don't just flirt with it. You just don't kind of believe in God and think everything's cool. You don't just... Try to be a good person and hope it all works out. You don't be a religious person because religion can't do anything. But those who truly have surrendered to Jesus, those are the, the wise ones according to Scripture. And we will shine like the stars in heaven in the sky above, a metaphor in that. The Bible tells us that you and I will give an account. Every one of us will give an account to God for our life. Everything we've said or done completely. There is a, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's a disorder. I don't know what it is. I don't even know if it's a condition, what to call it, but you can, you can look it up. It's called HSAM. Um, I forgot what the H and S is. It's the A and M, it's autobiographical memory. It's basically the individuals whose memory is on steroids that they literally don't forget anything in their life. And they, one person I read how describing her life is almost like living life with a split screen. Like there's one screen is reality now and the other screen is video playing of everything in their life in their past. That would be a really bad thing overall. It, it would be awesome if it worked for tests and quizzes. It would be a horrible thing when you cannot get past everything that you've experienced in your life. One doctor to test this woman, she's like, when, who, she was 11 when she realized that she could remember dates and times and where she was and what she did and what she had for breakfast and all kinds of stuff. And a doctor tested her. He, he pulled out just a history book and, you know, flipped 
and, and describe the day that Princess Diana died, and she could remember top of her head just the date and what she was doing and what was going on in the world. It was just crazy. If there are people who literally can walk around this world that can remember everything in their lifetime that ever happened and never forgotten, and by the way, I'm convinced that's the way God designed us before the fall. The fall and the sinfulness of our world reduced our brains and our capacities and all of that. But if there are people who can actually do that now, is it that big of a stretch to think that there's a God in heaven who actually knows that for all of us? I don't think so. That God will know every single thing that we've done, said, and thought, and we stand accountable before Him. And the only hope that any of us have is to, for Jesus to stand in our place covering our sin. Because you and I stand before the judge of heaven, and when you and I stand in our whole life, the books are opened, it's not a pretty picture with what Jesus is going to find for every one of us. The only thing that makes that work is that Jesus stands in our place. And when God opens the book in your life and my life, when we have truly surrendered our life to Him and trusted Jesus to have died on the cross to save us from our sins, He looks and He says, Oh, I see perfect. I don't see anything. I don't see lying. I don't see deceit. I don't see hatred. I don't see anger. I don't see vengeance. I don't see unfaithfulness. I don't see dishonesty. I don't see lust and greed and envy and jealousy. I don't see any of that. I just see the perfection of my son. And he says, you're a sheep, go to my right and enter into heaven and be blessed. But everyone who's not received that, they stand for their own realities. And that's where the condemnation comes from. Now, for us as Christians, well, Sean, that's awesome. I can whoo party. I got my get-out-of-jail-free card, like immunity, you know? I don't know if it's real or not, but TV tells us, you know, there are people, foreign dignitaries that can come into our country and they can get away with anything. I don't know if that's real or not, but whoo that's my immunity card. No, because here's the thing. When you're a follower of Jesus, yes, there's nothing that you can do that can send you to hell because Jesus stands between you and hell and God saves you, but your life is going to be judged according to your actions and you will receive a reward or not receive reward based on how you've lived before God. So there's a lot of reason for you to live wisely and to live a life fully committed because your whole of eternity is based on that. This is a retirement plan. This is God's retirement plan that you don't get to add anymore after heaven. It's what you go into eternity with is what you got. So make sure you pay attention to how you live your life and honor Him. Love Him. Love people. Be faithful. Fourth reality for us today, responsibility, is we should turn many to Jesus. Look at verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12. He says, But you, Daniel... Oh, actually, it's verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who turn many to righteousness. God just cuts through everything. He says, look, what I'm looking for is a life who is saved and knows Jesus, and you will shine like the stars of heaven, and I'm looking for people who have in turn helped others turn them to righteousness, to know Jesus, that His righteousness covers their account. Those are wise people. Those will be the one that will shine like the stars 
forever and ever in heaven. If these end times realities are true, and they are, then you and I have a huge responsibility today for the souls of men and women and children around us to turn them to righteousness, to live in such a way that points people to Jesus, to live in such a way to not try to conform to the world, but to rather to stand honoring God as a person of integrity and respect so that those in the world around us can say, what's different about you? And how are you able to experience that in life? And maybe I need to walk that way too. That your very life and actions point to Jesus. So, well, Sean, I struggle to help people to turn to Jesus. That's okay. I do too. So pray for them. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to get too far out of your comfort zone. You can even do it alone if you want. But pray for them. Care for them as it makes sense in some way and share with them in some way. Either you directly sharing with them or inviting other Christians in their life and are mixing in that. Invite them here where you know they're going to hear. Invite them to listen to a podcast, whatever. But find some way for them to get that message. And the Bible says that you and I are wise today for all of eternity if we help turn people to Jesus. Last real-time responsibility now based on all of that craziness in the end that's coming have confidence that God is going to care for you. Look at verse 13. Daniel sums up this way. Daniel's asking questions. How, but, when, when is this going to, how's this going to play out? And God's like, relax, I'm not telling you anymore. And he says in verse 13, he says, go your way till the end. In other words, do your thing, Daniel. You go be you, follow you, live your life, run your race, paddle your river, whatever metaphor you want to use. Live your life till the very end. And here's what's going to happen. You shall find rest and and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. God is telling Daniel, Daniel, chin up. Courage in your heart, son. It's going to be a challenge. But you're going to get there. You'll find rest. You'll take your place in the end. You'll be okay. If you and I are going to live a life of courage like Daniel lived, we have to have a great confidence in the God of heaven that He will take care of us, not just spiritually in our salvation, but He'll take care of us with all of the stuff of life. You know, paddling down that river yesterday really is a metaphor of life. There's times where you do get a chance to kick back and rest. Sean, I don't get that a lot. Yeah, I don't get that a lot either. But there came a time along the river, I'm like, I'm getting tired of this. I wouldn't want to do this all the time. It's a little stressful. Like, why did, you know, you hit that little moment. Like, why did we put in here today? Oh, yeah, we're supposed to have fun. That's right. You're trying to dodge all of these rocks and you know, maneuver, and most of the rocks we got around, but a few we didn't see and we hit. And then one of them, I didn't play well at all. I thought I could get on this side of it, I couldn't, and we ended up broadsiding it, which if you're in a canoe is not the right way to go, because that's when they tip, and I didn't keep the bow pointed downstream, but we didn't tip then. Thankfully, we survived it. Life is very much like that. Sometimes you do make mistakes. Let's call it what they are. Sometimes you do sin, and you're trying to do stuff that's dumb and not right and dishonoring God. But God keeps you in the boat, and He loves you. And you go through, and then sometimes you hit some big obstacles where you do go in the, in the river, and you go under, and all of that. 
but God's telling Daniel, Daniel, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen the rest of your life, but I will tell you, you're going to be okay. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Guys, I want to challenge you. For you and I to live courageously as Christians, these are five non-negotiables in our life today. To live courageously, to be okay inside that we're a little bit different than the world around us. To be okay knowing that we need to pray for an eternity that really matters. Our, the world around us really matters. The goal in life is not just to survive. It's not just to have fun and be happy. It's to, to live and to pray toward a, an eternity that's coming very quickly. It's to, to live in such a way that our actions, our lives matter. What we do today matters for all of eternity. It's to help others to know Him. But all along the way to have courage that even when the stresses and the crazy and no matter how crazy it gets with all of whether we're these individuals that experience all of this stuff or not, that God's got us. And He'll take care of us. So I want to challenge you. Are you a person who really is taking courage in God today? Taking courage in Jesus? Not just a person who knows Him. Yes, that's the first step. If you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, you really got to get that one squared away. Because God says, I'm giving you your life to get this right. After that, we're done. There's no makeup exams. No mulligans in golf. No do-overs. No, we'll just do better next times. That's it. So get that one squared away. And when that's squared away, live faithfully and obediently today and walk in these five realities, these five responsibilities for our life. So I don't know how as our music team, our worship team comes to lead us in response song. I don't know what God has challenged into your heart this morning. But I hope it's something. I hope that God has challenged you deeply, encouraged you, helped you. Maybe you've struggled to have confidence that it's okay. Maybe you're, you're more nervous and anxious in things of life. God says, I got you. It's okay to go down the river, and even if you fall in, it's okay. I'm your life jacket. Trust me. Trust it. I got you covered. Maybe you're there, and you've kind of just gotten focused in on yourself, your little world. I can do that. And God says, no, there's a bigger world out here that I've made you responsible for. Maybe you need to step forward in that. I don't know. But whatever God is speaking in your heart this morning, would you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Your team's going to lead us in the song. Would you be in a, a, a moment of prayer, a moment of praise, a moment of response to whatever God is talking in your heart today? Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for Jesus, that he has this all not just figured out, but solved, that he is king of heaven. Thank you that we trust you. Thank you that we can. Thank you for the life that you change in us and that none of us have exhausted all of the change and all of the grace that you want to bring in our life even today. Father, I pray that these courageous truths would be real in our life. Help us to live in a way that's different, not weird for weirdness sake, but it's truly a life that's loyal and obedient to you. Father, help us to courageously and boldly live that way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.